Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 91. Goodbye, Norma Jean. Oh, you're so lucky. I would just kill for your job. You would? What's she like? I mean, really like, in private. Um, well, she's, uh, she's a little hard to describe. Spending every day with her, getting to know the real person. Here she comes. Some quantum leaps are like nightmares. Getting pummeled in a boxing ring, working on a chain gang. So if you told me I'd find myself chauffeuring Marilyn Monroe around Hollywood in a big V8 convertible, I'd say I'd died and gone to heaven. I was only a kid when Marilyn was at her peak. But in college, I used to love sneaking off to the movies so I could get lost in the magic of those big, luscious blue eyes. Al, on the other hand, had been around for the real thing. Her meteoric rise and her sudden tragic fall. Right now, though, everything seemed fine. Marilyn was getting ready to start her next big picture, and she was on top of the world. But something in her eyes, something in her voice told me she was a woman in trouble. And I wondered just how far away we were from the dark day the world would lose one of its brightest stars. The day we all lost Marilyn Monroe. I'm very nervous here. You're nervous? Yes. You're the luckiest guy on the planet. Are we anywhere near the date of Marilyn's suicide? Geez, you're right. We're close to it. That's what I thought. Don't you think you should go back and give Gushy a hand? Uh, you think you're here to keep her alive? Just baby? go, all right? Okay. Hello, Miss Monroe. Who are you? Please get out of my house. We had an appointment. I'm Barbara Whitmore. You did tell your agent you needed a secretary, a gopher, an assistant. It's amazing to me that somebody as busy and as important as you doesn't have someone looking out for her uh, appointments, keeping her affairs in order. Providing companionship. I'll pay you 75 a week, 50 with room and board if you'll live here. There's only four days until Marilyn's suicide. I'm here to stop it. Well, there was so much mystery surrounding Marilyn's death that Ziggy's afraid to make a guess. But what else could it be? Talking about some pretty 
major history-changing here, Al. Hey, we're in the wrong-writing business, and Marilyn's death was one of the big-time wrongs in our lifetime, and there was a lot of us that never bought it as a suicide in the first place. Your life can be so wonderful if you let it. You've got to hang on to it with everything you've got. What's gotten into you? People adore you. That's great if you're some kind of a stone statue. No, no, look, that's not what I meant. People really care about you. You're one of the most loved people in the world. Ever. Then why can't I feel it? I don't know. How come you're not with Marilyn? I'm just a hired help, remember? Yeah, you see the other hired help? She's over there acting like the guest of honor. Do we have a doctor here? Anyone? It's Marilyn, isn't it? Don't bother me now. I need a doctor. I am a doctor. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we talk about the season five episode, Goodbye, Norma Jean, otherwise known as the Marilyn Monroe episode. So, mm. ooh, another celebrity leap, guys. Well, it is season five, <laughs> and it's been at least two weeks since a celebrity leap. <laughs> It's funny, I was watching this one expecting <laughs> to be so annoyed, and I'm happy to report that I wasn't. So, I mean, we got that going for us, but uh, I want to get right into initial impressions on this one, because I feel like this could be another polarizing episode. Allison, what did you think of Goodbye, Norma Jean? This is one that's taken me a while to come around to. Um, because I, I'm not a fan of the celebrity leaps, uh, and I've talked about that before, and that's a, a huge portion of this episode. But I think over the years, uh, I've come to um, understand a little bit more the running themes in the episode, and there are some parts of it that that really resonate with me. So um, it's still not one of my favorites, but I, I do appreciate what uh, Richard Siyoki was trying to accomplish with the script on this one. Okay. And um, I'd like to maybe discuss in greater detail some of those running themes that uh, you just mm. mentioned. So let's put a pin in that. But uh, Matt, how about you? Yeah, mixed feelings for me. I, I feel very, very differently each time I watch this. So sometimes I am able to see past the celebrity leap. And there, there's certainly some good stuff about this. And I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Um, I, I like the celebrity leap episodes in series five generally, because usually I find that you don't have to have any awareness of the celebrities in advance. Like the Lee Harvey Oswald is a good conspiracy theory drama episode. If you like that kind of thing, the history doesn't matter. Dr. Ruth, you don't need to know who she is. This episode, it really does feel like Richard Sioki is saying, you, you love Marilyn, right? You, the viewer, love Marilyn, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's an episode, but you love Marilyn, right? I, and I, I don't, she's okay. I, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't dislike Marilyn Monroe. I've just got no particular feelings one way or the other. And I think my enjoyment of the episode really suffers for it because it, you really have to be a fan. Or it feels like it, there's an expectation that you're a fan in order to enjoy this. And, and I think that expectation is correct. 
That is uncanny because you almost say word for word what um, – <laughs> really, your words were better, to be honest with you. But that's almost exactly Aww. how I feel about this episode. Like I said, I came in expecting to really be turned off by it because it's, oh, here we go, another gimmick, another celebrity leap. But I thought it was just fine. And I think, like you said, Matt, I think your enjoyment of this episode really hinges on your Maryland fandom, your level of Maryland fandom, and in part your nostalgia, I think, for old Hollywood. And mm. my interest in both of those things is less than passing. So I know that I'm not the target audience for this. This really is, I think, a leap for fans of Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. I feel like the more that you know about Marilyn Monroe and her films and, and the events that are brought up in this episode, you might be more annoyed, though. Because I feel like that there are things that are like, the way that they're presented are a little bit like, I don't know, rose-tinted glasses about it, <laughs> or like um, it, yeah. like the, the speech at the end that she gives, uh, where she, well, it's not really her speech, she's quoting the movie. She's reading a line from the movie uh, where she's talking about we're all uh, we're all dying and we're not learning a damn thing. It's such a great moment. And then you look at the movie that it's in and the scene where that happens and it's not anything like the scene <laughs> that's happening in Quantum Leap. Why didn't you teach her to be graceful? Well, gracefulness isn't something you can teach or learn. You've either got it or not. How do you know for sure? Your wife died before she ever got to see you dance. Somehow at this moment, I don't feel like discussing my wife. What I meant was, when you really love someone, you both should be willing to teach each other everything. We're all dying, aren't we? All of us. Old folks and kids, husbands, and wives. And we're not learning a damn thing. Didn't your wife dance? Not like you. She had no gracefulness. Why didn't you teach her to be graceful? You can't learn that. How do you know? I mean, how do you know? You see, she died and she didn't know how you can dance. To a certain extent, Maybe we're strangers. I don't feel like discussing my wife. Oh, don't be mad. I only meant that if you loved her, you could have taught her anything. Because we're all dying, aren't we? All the husbands and all the wives. Every minute, we're not teaching each other what we really know. And I, I guess I can appreciate that they've twisted those lines into something that was really meaningful to her at that moment in the episode. But if you watch the movie, I, I don't know if that scene is really meant to be that meaningful. So it's like, I, I don't know, like, maybe that's just a, a reinterpretation of that scene for that moment in her life. But I don't know how it would read for people who are real Marilyn Monroe fans. That's what it seemed like to me, too, um, because I thought that, that it was almost overindulgence with the amount of dialogue that they were just parroting from, I guess, The Misfits. That's the movie that they were talking about. I've never seen it. And reinterpreting it is, I think, a perfect way to put it, Allison. It's, it's taking, I think, something that maybe Rick felt for Marilyn as a person and wanted to sort of put that in there in a more personal way to make a point in the episode using her own words. 
Which I guess is a, a good artistic choice, but again, I've never seen the movie. I don't really know the movie. Um, I think that if I had and if I did, this would have been a lot more resonant for me. As of now, I thought it was good. I thought it was a really nice way to wrap up the episode. As a matter of fact, I think it was one of the strongest parts of the episode because she really came alive to me in that scene. And I thought she was she was good throughout, but like in that scene especially, I just really thought that Susan Griffiths, who played Marilyn in this, I thought she just nailed it. Mm. So, Allison, like I said before, I'd like to get back to some of those underlying themes that you noticed upon your many rewatches of this episode, because when I was putting the talking points together, I was having a hell of a time finding actual things to talk about for this episode that weren't just the surface plot. Well, it's about depression. The whole point is that it's not really something that you can fight to change. You know, like depression is undiscerning. It doesn't matter if you're a famous person or if you're a non-famous person or if you're the most loved person in the world. And they talk about that in this episode. Um, so I, I, I guess part of the issue at the end is really like it, it feels like there is no point to the sleep you know like they say like oh sam made sure that she did this movie and all that but really it's just sort of an exploration of depression and and marilyn monroe as a person so i think like i appreciated it from that standpoint i'm not really sure how well it works as a quantum leap Mm. but i think that it's an interesting concept yeah that's funny because to me, I found that to be such an obvious through line in the plot of this episode, but I also – I feel like I've seen this kind of thing explored specifically in context with Marilyn Monroe before. So maybe that's why it didn't stand out to me as a message because – I don't know. I just feel like whenever you hear about Ma- Marilyn Monroe these days, like her sort of private life and her private depression seems to be interwoven with any kind of discussion about her. So it, to me, this this was just like, yeah, okay, we're going to talk about Marilyn Monroe. We have to talk about the fact that she was unhappy. Yeah, but that was the whole thing. Sam wanted to save her. He was trying to save her through the whole episode. He kept trying to change her lifestyle. He kept trying to like do all of these things that might shift her away from that. And he realized that he couldn't. You can't save someone from something like that. Not in that way anyway. Not in the way a leap would work. Yeah. Mm. Mm, But I think the downside of Sam's real, you know, genuine efforts to save her gave him sort of a thankless role in this episode, because for most of it, he just comes across as like Captain Buzzkill. It's like all he does is admonish her and admonish her. And it's just like, maybe take some time to enjoy the fact that you're in the presence of one of the idols of the 20th century. I mean, they they gave the episode sort of a, a conflict. With uh, Barbara's character. Barbara, played by Liz Massey, who I had no idea who she was before Quantum Leap, and I've never been able to get her out of my mind since seeing this episode of Quantum Leap. Let's just say I'm a fan of Liz Massey. (laughs) I I can't tell what your favorite scene was. (laughs) There are two. (laughs) Actually, three. (laughs) You ever seen her in The Tick, Liz Massey? I know she played American Maid in The Tick, and um, I did not see that. That was the Fox version of The Tick, right? Yeah. She was in the the recent one, too, as a different character, but not a main character. Yeah. Okay, cool. But she, yeah, she was great in that. It was super funny. Um, She was in a previous Quantum Leap as well. She was in the episode Raped as um, the girlfriend of the, Kevin, I think his name was, the, the rapist. Yeah. 
she went she went on the stand <laughs> very different character i wonder if we talked about it in that episode of the podcast because um yeah i, I that, i'm sorry this is just lecherous yeah the, the certain scenes of liz massey's in this production really stayed in my memory so is it the big boobs oh <laughs> you know oh <laughs> you see i i i was watching this earlier today and um so I'm sorry, Chris, because I'm I might be about to make a counterpoint, but that moment where she drops the coat and all the guys in the room just turn into teenage boys. I just the note <laughs> I put down was just boobs in big letters. <laughs> that moment made me cringe. Um, <laughs> you guys cracked the code, okay? You figured yeah. it out. <laughs> well, that was I mean that was a big uh, that was a big part of her character as well. It was important that she was very voluptuous and um, intended to use her looks to get ahead. Uh, with the guys, which almost worked, but they uh, they found out, uh, as she found out, you can't uh, use that to make yourself classy. You can't buy classiness. <laughs> I just think when she walked in there with the big coat on, you're like, yeah, you know there's going to be a reveal. The reveal could have been, and I, I now I'm going to sound like Captain Buzzkill, but the reveal <laughs> could have just been a little bit more classy. Just a little bit more like, oh, she's in an, she's in an elegant dress. Why does it have to be just boobs? No, no, she was ungraceful. She wasn't being graceful, as the dialogue was alluding to. And she was even kind of, she was being a, a cheap imitation of Marilyn. Let's, she was wearing her, like, famous dress, but she was, mm -hmm. like, you know, a little bit less yes. charming than Marilyn. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe I missed the point. I, yeah, you're right. No, that the point you you actually you nailed the point, Matt. Because when um, Marilyn walks in, that's what I said. This to me was the strongest scene in the episode because it went from sort of just this, I guess, this crass sex appeal that I've been talking about <laughs> to someone that was genuinely alluring. Yeah, and I thought that the the shift in the tone was marked, even though they were both sexy. There was just something about the way that Susan delivered her stuff as opposed to the role that Liz was playing. And it, it was really, um, it was remarkable. So, I mean, that, that's why um, I, 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 I can't say I dislike this episode because there's just so many good turns in it. And um, even though it's gimmicky, it would have hinged on Susan Griffiths and whether or not her Marilyn delivers. And she had the most dangerous job of all yes. in this episode. Because if she couldn't pull it off, there would be no episode. I mean, th this tremendous amount of pressure on her. Does anyone know about her background? Oh, she was a, a professional Marilyn Monroe impersonator. That's almost everything that she did. Acting. I feel sure we've talked about this before in other leaps, but it's always it's always dangerous, even when it's not a real character, even when it's just a fictional character. It's always dangerous when you have a character who is supposed to be an amazing actress or an amazing musician, and then they have to actually perform. Because that <laughs> when you say, oh, this, this is Marilyn Monroe, she's the most amazing actress, and then that moment at the end that we've you already talked about, Chris, if she hadn't pulled that off, it would have really been obvious because they've, she spent the whole episode or we spent the whole episode expecting her to be this amazing performer and uh yeah it was only a few seconds where you got to see her acting in character as marilyn and um very fortunate that she nailed it i think though um one of the main distinctions here is that marilyn monroe is such an icon that it would be very easy for 
anyone portraying her to devolve into some sort of caricature. Yes. And Susan Griffiths never once, in my opinion, did that. The closest they came was during the leap in because you had to establish that this is Marilyn Monroe. So she was sort of like extra boop, boop, a doop in, in that first scene. But after that, she was so grounded. I just think there's a special sort of danger when you're portraying someone that I, the majority of the audience already has a preconception about. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was like one or two lines where I felt like it went a little too much into like Marilyn caricature. But I think for the most part, like it's very difficult when you're an impersonator to try and interpret how this person would have said and lived their life and and be respectful about it. And you're not just saying like their famous lines. You're like, well, how would she say this? How would she interact with this person? How would she do this? And try and do it respectfully and true to how they seem to be. Yeah. And she obviously nails it. I mean, I wish I could say the same for the rest of the cavalcade of celebrity impersonators that littered this episode. We had a fake John Houston, we had a fake Peter Lawford, and we had maybe the worst Clark Gable I think I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those, to me, were total caricatures. Hmm. When when there was like – um, was Clark Gable the one they like – they had the big reveal, like, they're like, what do you think? <laughs> Got any opinion on this, Clark? He's waiting for the princess. He turns around. Okay, see, that moment, I didn't like that, because, like, again, it's that starstruck, like, ooh, look, it's the famous person, and look how great they are, and, like, it just... <laughs> yeah. I think they just got, like two rose-tinted glasses about some of this. And I also think, too, a, a lot of the stuff with Marilyn, the performance was very good. A bit of the story is kind of wrapped up in old Hollywood nostalgia, too. And I, I keep thinking back to other blonde bombshells over the years, because Marilyn Monroe was kind of the quintessential uh, old Hollywood blonde bombshell. And then after that, um, every generation has their own think like Pamela Anderson would be like of the 90s. And I think of like the perceptions people had of them or have of them. And um, I, I don't know if people would see it quite the same way if they were thinking of them or people who were around in the 50s and the 60s when Marilyn Monroe was so huge. Like, I don't know if people had quite that same perception. And I think the episode would have done a, a little better to humanize her a bit more. Like, it, it, she was, like, drinking and partying and um, and had depression. But I feel like there's a little bit too perfectness about some of it. Yeah. Well, see, and that's where I think one of the pitfalls that you get from these celebrity leaps, um, as, as much as the promises that you can lure in viewers, um, a pitfall is that it a lot of times just comes down to like wish fulfillment and specifically for quantum leap don is on the record of saying this like boomer wish fulfillment he mm. wanted people to <laughs> see the stuff and to see the clothes and to see the cars and say oh look i remember that oh that and he said i i think ironically that's the part of the audience that he never was really able to capture to his satisfaction but um, the show did find its audience. But but I feel like whenever you do something like this, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's another example. You are catering to somebody's nostalgia. And 
your mileage may vary, especially as the show becomes more and more of an obscure sort of cult classic. Any new viewers coming to this are going to be necessarily younger, and they're not going to know who Marilyn Monroe is, and it makes mm-hmm. the show oh, they'll age. they'll know who Marilyn Monroe is. <laughs> I don't think people are going to no. forget who she is. <laughs> okay, but, but listen to the way we're talking about this. We're saying that we liked the episode, but we really couldn't appreciate it as much as we think a fan of Marilyn Monroe would have, or someone who grew up watching her movies and, you know, idolizing her. I, I don't know, though. I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think those returns are just going to decrease as time goes on. It's just a game of diminishing returns whenever you do something like this. And Chris, you you mentioned the clothes and it actually got me thinking about one one of the problems that I had with this episode. And I think it's just fallen into place as to maybe why they made the choices that they did that regards to whether or not I was happy with it. I felt this this was one of those examples and you see it all the time in TV of that era where they're trying to humanize uh, a female character. They're trying to make her real and believable. And yet she rolls out of bed every morning with perfect makeup and perfect hair and perfect clothes. Um, she looks perfectly made up pretty much right to the end where she's got a bit of a hangover and she's a little bit paler than normal. But otherwise, let's face it, she's still perfectly beautiful. And... Yeah, I guess some of that may be answering to that nostalgia piece. Nobody wants to see, at least in the eyes of the producers, no one wants to see Marilyn Monroe looking like shit. But that was was what I felt was missing from this episode. I thought, I I really want to see the human side of Marilyn, and it feels like the script is trying to go there, but she never looked real to me. She She always looked like she had that face on that she was in the script she was complaining about and saying, I, I, I don't like the fact that no one sees the real me. Well, none of us could see the real her. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that point. I think like it undercuts it a little bit to say like, you know, I'm just Norma Jean. No one really sees who I am. They just want to see Marilyn Monroe. Um, and then I, I don't know if we saw Norma Jean that much, to be honest. Maybe she was supposed to be too far gone into Marilyn at that point. Yeah. I don't know, but I feel like it it missed something by not having that. Yeah, the memo didn't get to hair and props. Especially because at the end, we're supposed to be, look how great Marilyn is. Like, she comes in and she's like, she's so graceful and she says her lines and she did this beautiful picture. And it's like, well, what is it? Was she Norma Jean? Was she Marilyn? Was she, <laughs> like, what yeah. are we supposed to take away from that? Yeah, and I think that a lot has been made of sort of, that dichotomy of her. I, 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 the only thing I go on is that dumb HBO movie from, I guess, 10 years ago, maybe more, Norma Jean and Marilyn. Ashley Judd played Norma Jean in the beginning, and it was a much different interpretation of the character growing into the Marilyn persona uh, until the point where Mira Sorvino takes over the role, a completely different actress. So cool. sort of that, that dichotomy has, again, been something that's been part and parcel of the sort of the Marilyn mystique as we know it, because they want to explore both the real Norma Jean and then the glamorous Marilyn Monroe. And I'm saying to myself, why can't it be a combination of both? This is obviously the same person. Why do we need to separate this arbitrarily to the before and the after, to the real Norma Jean and to the phony Marilyn? And I didn't see the episode falling down in that regard, Alice. And it's funny that that you bring it up. Like, who was she at the end? Was she Norma Jean? Was she Marilyn? Well, yes. (laughs) Again, 
I think if I were more of a Marilyn Monroe fan, I would have maybe different, stronger opinions on that. Only Marilyn Monroe gets spotted. Today, I'm Norma Jean Baker. Also, I just want to say, I know that I was being lecherous about Liz Massey, but Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ, Scott Bakula, he has never been more handsome on Quantum Leap than he was in this episode. He, he looked amazing in every freaking scene. Like, you can understand why he is a leading man with his own TV show. Oh, Holy Chris. Shit. Have you finally joined me and Albie in our love for Topless Scott? I think I have. <laughs> Everything, the sharp clothes and the haircut and the slick and the, oh my God. God, he was beautiful. Right, he comes running out in the boxer shorts and she's in the pool. <laughs> yeah. Looking very good. Yeah. So forced me to question a lot. Who am I kidding? Wow. <laughs> so yeah, he was especially man candy in this episode. He was amazing looking in this one. And see, when I when I read the notes, I thought that you just added that because you didn't you wanted to seem less pervy. About no. <laughs> Massey, so you're like, I don't know, maybe Allison was into Scott Bakula. I don't know, Scott Bakula too. <laughs> That's 100% Chris. Yeah. I, I assumed the notes about Scott and uh, and Liz were both about their acting performances. I had no idea either of them were lecturers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. No, see, there's, there's the real Chris that is lecturous, <laughs> and then, you know, the Quantum Leap podcast Chris that is more glamorous and polished, you see. So... I'm, I'm vacillating between the two. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity lecher. Don't you guys worry. I also really loved the costumes. Um, Jacqueline's costuming in this was amazing. And uh, the location. I mean, obviously, you could tell the pared down budget because it took place in basically Marilyn's house. And they were able to shoot a Griffiths Observatory. Ah, oh, that's an amazing location. I really loved seeing them shoot there. I love that place. I've been there a couple of times now. Such a beautiful place to go. And Chris, I'm sure have you have you been there? I have not. And the first place I want to go <laughs> when I go to Griffith's <laughs> Observatory is I know to what you're the- going to say. Yes, you do. Finish my sentence, Matt. You complete me <laughs> to the tunnel round the corner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the tunnel to Toontown and uh, Marty. Uh, it's a, it's very extended in Back to the Future too, where where Marty escapes from Biff. Yes, yes. <laughs> on the hoverboard. On the hoverboard. It's it's a it's a it's a great tunnel. I've got a photo of it. <laughs> but I mean, it's such an iconic location that that Griffiths Observatory. You get a, an amazing view of Los Angeles from up there. And if you're going to say old Hollywood in shorthand. I don't think you get any more old Hollywood than that. They were even geeking out about old Hollywood, talking about Rebel Without a Cause. That's that was here, Rebel Without uh, Hollywood. It was a great movie with the hot rods and and, and then the chicken thing at the end. Man, I thought um yeah the the costumes and all of the stuff setting it in the period was very good. I even liked um Jacqueline Saint Anne added a uh, a new owl outfit to this. Um, he had like the little the star covered jacket. It was very good. I think this is the only time he wears it. It's awesome jacket. I think it's because Al was starstruck. Yeah, <laughs> Al. He had stars in his eyes. <laughs> Can we talk about Al in this episode? <laughs> I liked when Sam's like, "Why am I here? Who cares? What? Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? Oh yeah, uh- fucking <laughs> Al. What? What? What'd you say? I'm, I'm, I, I said fucking Al. <laughs> I just, I 
iPod, so I just I just wanted to make sure. They, they had that cutscene from this episode where it was an effect shot of him like dancing across the pool just swimming. Oh, thank you so much because I know that I saw Al walking on water at some point, and I just I thought I was going nuts because it wasn't in the episode. So I must have seen an outtake or something at one of the cons. Because I, in my mind, that's always been on screen, Al walking across the pool. Hmm. It was like um, in a, I don't know, I think probably one of those like specials on E! or something. And yeah. they like showed a clip and uh, it was like an unfinished effect shot. So it's like the circle around him in the blue screen as he's mm-hmm. <laughs> like walking across this water. I can see why they cut it though. It probably wouldn't have been the smoothest. Yeah, and I mean, they've done some slightly ropey Al effects in the past, so for that to have not made the cut, you've got to... It might have just been budget, too, honestly. They were like, we can't afford to to finish this shot. I'm thinking thinking maybe maybe they're worried about how it's going to play in the Bible Belt with Al walking on water. Maybe. Yeah, true. I don't know. There was some racy stuff in this episode. If they were worried about that, I I feel like there were racier bits. (sighs) But I want want to get back to Matt's... um, Utter disgust? Mm. Question mark of Al in this episode, or what? What's your specific gripe? If there is one, I, I think I'm reading the room right. Yeah, six words. Nobody that beautiful should ever die. Nobody that beautiful should ever die. Fuck you, Al. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> I really hate that line. Only ugly people die, Sam. <laughs> That's exactly how I hear that. Beautiful people should live forever. <laughs> what a dick. Yeah, sorry. I. I that line just <laughs> angers me so much. Like we get Al's a bit of a perv. He 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 appreciates the female form. Sometimes it's cute. Sometimes it's a bit lecherous. But this is just like yeah yeah she's beautiful. So therefore she's more important than the normal people. I I have you can reinterpret that line for me if you want. But that's the only way that I can hear that. It just it bothers me a lot. It seems very out of character for Al. I, I think it goes back to Allison's rose-colored glasses analogy earlier, um, in the mm. sense that especially someone like Al Calavici, I mean, Sam even cops to it in his voiceover in the beginning that he was kind of too young. He kind of missed the Marilyn boat. So he all of a sudden becomes a Marilyn fan in college, sneaking off to watch her movies, like at a retrospective or whatever, which, okay, I kind of, I have problems with that, to be honest with you, for Sam's character. I don't think he was going to see any stupid Marilyn Monroe movies. I think he was in the lab all the time. Did he say in college he was doing that? I believe he did. Because in college, he would have been, what, 16? <laughs> yeah. Been fairly young. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was sneaking off to do to watch Marilyn movies. Anyway, but I think that... For Al, Marilyn is like the sweet spot. Like, that is his golden idol when it comes to sex appeal and just like the standard of female beauty. So that's the way it came across to me is just pure hero worship. Mm-hmm. If I had to reinterpret it. That's fine. I'd be curious to know what listeners think of that point. Are you guys as offended by that line as Matt? Like, to me, it was almost throwaway, but yeah. wow. It uh, At the end of the day, I mean, this episode was written by one of the producers. This was somebody familiar with the show and the characters. I I am ready to accept that I'm wrong because this was not written by somebody that had just come in thinking, oh yeah, I, I read one thing about Al once that he appreciated women. Let's make him a dick. So I think I'm just misinterpreting it, but I can't hear it any other way than something that really just diminishes the importance of, of us ugly people. I I'm very curious what the 
what what the thoughts were on Marilyn Monroe back then for people who were living back then. Because I feel like this legendary status also comes with celebrities who die young as well. You know, but um, I feel like people had those rumors about, like, the affair with the president and all that. It was scandalous, and she was like the sexy blonde bombshell, and there was a little bit of you know, uh, jealousy on the part of some people and the the tabloids of the time. And I don't know if it was, I, I feel like this episode is kind of sugarcoating a lot of that stuff. Well, it's funny to me, if you notice, they never once said JFK or John Kennedy or <laughs> Kennedy. Yeah, but they alluded to it. <laughs> is it true? What? What they say, you know, about her being involved with a certain senator from Massachusetts. He sort of hinted that maybe there would be some guests there that you wouldn't want to miss. I think you meant from out of town. From back east. From Washington, D.C. Would that be who I think it is? Matt, I was curious to know if in your research for this episode you came across any kind of memos or anything that says we can't name names here for whatever reason? Are they afraid that there's going to be blowback? Are they afraid of like the Kennedy estate, like suing them? Are they afraid? Like, was there any sort of mention as to why JFK was never mentioned specifically and only alluded to heavily? I, I got nothing from paperwork or from interviews, but I've always assumed, as I think you were starting to allude to there, that um, a lot of this is just down to how they wanted to portray her to people that have an affection for Marilyn. Do you, do you want to start dredging that sort of stuff up in a show that is is ultimately saying, look, look at Marilyn, she went through some tough times, but we, we love her, we adore her, and it, it maybe was something that they just wanted to acknowledge, but not spend a lot of time on. And if this was a, a warts and all documentary, maybe things would be different. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think it would have fitted well in what they were trying to do. That's just my assumption. Though. Yeah, I think they were just throwing like some lip service into it, but they just didn't really want to get into it that much. Hmm. Mm, okay. I mean, if you're going to talk about warts and all, though, there were different turns that Susan Griffiths took in portraying Marilyn that turned me off at times. Especially when she was just acting like a petulant child. Like, why does she get to act like a spoiled little shit? May I? Mm. Oh, come on. Come on, you're going to hurt my feelings. I don't want to eat the eggs. Uh, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> uh. Uh, that's when the, the character turned me off. And she's drinking champagne for breakfast. And then two scenes later, Sam is saying, What makes you think you would? You'd be a great mother. What? <laughs> <laughs> Chris, sometimes you've gotta drink booze for breakfast uh to get through parenting trust me <laughs> okay i i'll have to take your word for it maybe cut that i don't know there's a, that might be upsetting for some listeners maybe get a knock on your door from social services do they have social <laughs> services in the uk yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know i think sam is just trying to use that as a don't you want something don't you want anything and maybe like he thinks that would be a reason for her to want to keep living no, like if she had kids, maybe that would would help her um, to to be able to overcome this, um, which isn't necessarily a great line of thinking, but that might have been why uh, it was brought. And he's like, "Oh, you wanted to, when you were married, you wanted to have kids then. Like, why why don't you want them now? Maybe uh, maybe that would be something." Yeah, and I I sort of got that. He was just grasping for anything that might snap her out of it, might give her some kind of hope. 
And I love Sam for doing it, but I, I don't think that Marilyn Monroe would have made a great mom. I just, not as portrayed in this episode. No. <laughs> That's all. That's all. So it just struck me as like, what? Wait a minute. So, but you're right. There was a serious reason why he said it. Sam sees the potential for good in anyone. So yeah, maybe he's just saying, all right, yeah, then you've got a lot of, a lot of problematic stuff, but let's just ignore all that because you have a good heart. You mean well. So yeah, maybe if you became a mum, all that, all that bad energy and bad vibes would just fall away. He's very naive as Sam. Bless him. Well, you know, and I think that's a specific trait that Rick puts into Sam's character because yeah. he did sort of the same thing um, with Sam in this episode, geeking out about Albert Einstein and how Albert Einstein is his idol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Haven't you ever had an idol? Well, sure. Who? Albert Einstein. <laughs> what? I, what? I mean, I would just say that I'm a lot closer to my idol than you are to yours. Well, but Albert Einstein is... And he was ready to go on and on about it. And it's kind of the same way he was being a science nerd at the beginning of um, Starlight, Star Bright. So I think that that's something that Rick does particularly well for Sam. I, I think this is something that was like um, an interesting concept for uh, Quantum Leap to tackle. And that like, you're right, Sam's character is someone who is kind of naive and kind of like trying to save the world all the time. And when he comes across something like this, he's just like you said, grasping at straws as to like, how can I solve this problem? Mm. Well, maybe if I find something that she wants, maybe if I try to like change her lifestyle, it's like what he was doing with his father. He's like, maybe if I change these little things, I can, you know, mm -hmm. save him from himself later on. And there are certain things you just can't change. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually turns out it always blows up in his face. You know, what'd you do with the cigarettes? I burned them with the trash. Well, it's just to waste the money. He's just going to buy new cigarettes. You know, you're not going to change it. Yeah. Yeah. If Sam could be said to have a blind spot, this is one we've seen over and over again. But it's also, I think, again, one of the pitfalls of Celebrity Leaps because you can't really change anything for someone whose life is on the historical record. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, like, maybe to broaden out the discussion, I know that if there was a season six, they would have done more of this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's just a foregone conclusion. Do you think that that could have been a good thing? Do you think that that would have always been like a bad thing? To me, it's always going to be problematic with various aspects because you really can't change anything unless you try to pull a cheap, well, Jackie, Jackie died in the original history too, which to me was always, I'm sorry, I know people love it, but that was a cop out to me. <laughs> But they, they do that here as well. I mean, the difference being the, the Jackie one, which I, I like that, but the Jackie one was thrown in at the end as a twist, whereas this episode opens with them saying, like, yeah, her, her suicide's just coming up when it, she actually lived for a couple more years after this. So, Was it supposed to have been that she died at that party originally and Sam was making sure she did the movie? Because they said that he, he was making sure that she did the final picture. So was the original history that... She didn't? That was what I got. But the, 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 yeah, this gets into some of the more problematic stuff of the, the technicalities of this leap for me, because a lot of the stuff that happens happens because Sam convinces Marilyn to hire Barbara at the beginning. And that's when everything starts going wrong. So a, a lot of the stuff about her death and then Barbara potentially taking over her life and stuff, Sam kind of sets that in motion and then undoes it. So what the original history was in the Quantum Leap universe is kind of hard to tell. 
Um, we just know that our our original, our real history is what is what ends up happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is the wrong that Sam is meant to put right when he originally leaps in there? Presumably to save her life, which, which he does. But I, I, I'm sure if you kind of follow that through line carefully, he's the one that's responsible for her life being at risk in the first place. Yeah, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, like what what the point of the whole thing was supposed to be before all of these things that Sam caused. <laughs> This could be a Piggy Suey thing, because he does make sure the Misfits gets named the Misfits. That's that's the big... Oh. That's that's definitely a change. I, I guess. He leaped in to make sure it was called the Misfits. Yeah, and along the way, he almost makes her die two years earlier, but then stops that. But the Misfits definitely changes. So yeah, it's a Piggy Suey thing. W- would the movie have made that much of a difference the misfits being released like i don't know if the misfits outside of it being marilyn monroe's last picture is that noteworthy of a film i don't know at all and this is where my lack of marilyn monroe fandom really kind of diminishes the episode for me because had i known then i could make maybe more of a judgment as to sam's ultimate purpose on the leap and whether it's worth it if the misfits is a shitty movie then you know we're just (laughs) stuck with this because it's our history yeah. I mean, like, I, I know that, like, well, okay, like, movies and TV shows, we know this, um, can be meaningful to people. So it's not to be like, ah, fuck that movie, you know? But I do feel like, as far as the purpose of the leap goes, to be like, she made that one last picture, it was so important. It's like, was it? Was it important that she made this movie? Well, I, I also haven't seen it, but it gets 7.2 on IMDb, so I'm thinking, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I've seen one Marilyn Monroe movie, and that's Some Like It Hot. Some Like It Hot, right. Everyone, yeah. <laughs> that's it, me too. <laughs> yeah, and I saw, like, I've seen clips of The Misfits, because I was looking for this specific clip where where she mm-hmm. says the line from the end of this episode. Hey, maybe there's a Patreon extra right there. We watch The Misfits and review it. I mean, it was no Some Like It Hot. Uh, what is? Well, I mean, Jack Lemon in a skirt. <laughs> did, did Sam say he liked that movie? Was that what he said his favorite was? Yes, that was his favorite one. So Sam and I have something in common. Oh, that's why That's why he likes getting in the dresses and stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> if you listening out there have not seen Some Like It Hot, it is a fantastic movie. Yes. And Marilyn Monroe is great in it. She's yeah. really funny in it. It's pretty funny. Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon in drag. I mean, mm-hmm. there's your premise right there. <laughs> now I'm thinking of that movie and I'm just cracking up. <laughs> Tony Curtis was such an idiot in that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. I really, really must watch it again. <laughs> it has a very ambiguous ending, a very sort of uh, progressive ending. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That's the only bit I already remember. Like, nobody's perfect, isn't it? Isn't that the, the way it finishes? <laughs> Let's just put it this way. Tony Curtis winds up with Marilyn Monroe and Jack Lemmon winds up with an older yachtsman. He's still in drag, somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it's the love story of the ages. Yeah, not to uh, ruin the movie. Hashtag spoilers, but uh, it's really not about the ending, guys. <laughs> It's really about the journey. People can't really be like, you spoiled some like it hot for me. <laughs> oh, yes, There's they can. There's an embargo on spoiling movies for like 50, 60 years, yeah. however long it's been. What, 80? How old is some like it hot at this point? <laughs> I have no idea, but uh, Rosebud was his sled, everyone. Anyway. Um... <laughs> some like it hot is, hang on, I was, I, I've got her IMDb up at the moment. I just, just went past it. 59, 59, 59. <laughs> Hey, you know what? You know what line bothered me in this episode? When they go to Marilyn's house, and then, like, they see Barbara there. 
<laughs> she says, she's like, who are you? Who are you? Please get Please out of get my out of house. house. <laughs> <laughs> the way she delivers that line, I was like, what? <laughs> it was very weird. There were some lines, I think, too, that they had her dub over again. Like they, were, I think they were like, told her to make it more Marilyn-y or something unless like unless the audio wasn't usable and she just did it just feels like she was saying them more breathy and the ADR lines like maybe they're like do them a little softer like this that was the one job you didn't want as I recall that was one job you didn't want <laughs> wow very good Allison. that's really good oh thank you <laughs> I can be Marilyn now <laughs> so all of a sudden you're Barbara Whitmore what happened <laughs> I don't have big enough boobs to be Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking back to also, this ties back to the pilot. And the pilot of Quantum Leap, they had uh, one of the pregnant ladies at the Air Force uh, or the base. Like, she's like, my boobs are as big as Marilyn's. They're <laughs> 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 talking about how, how she's in the news again and she's like the, the gossip. I just got the little line that we're going to use this sting at the end of this episode. Thank you, Allison. You're the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> We talked um, a couple of moments ago about like the the, the history that, that Sam segues us off into by being all like, hey, this, this Barbara chick seems all right. But seriously, this again goes back to Sam's naivety. She rocks up and she's all like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm Marilyn's biggest fan and I, I dress like her and I eat like her and I, I, I lived where she lived and I went to her school and I've met all her friends and... It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, she seems normal. Just hire her. Yeah, let her move in. This is safe. Has Sam ever done something that stupid? <laughs> he is dumb. But again, he's looking for something to to help her. Like, he's like, okay, well, maybe if she had someone here to help look after her, maybe she could be like a friend to her or something like that. Um, he's not really thinking about the implications. Yeah, she, she is obvious villain from the start. It, it is very stalkery. And Sam had a, a crazy stalker fan in a previous episode. He should have been more attuned to that. Exactly. I'm trying to remember the episode now. Um, Moments to Live. Yeah. Wasn't the character called Norma Jean as well? Huh. Oh, yeah. Norma Jean Pilcher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, look at that. Oh, my God. It all ties together. <laughs> burger, burger theory. theory. Yeah, the burger. It's coming back. <laughs> my, my only other thing is, and this is just a comment, just to say, I, I know... We we have to do because of plot the the Ziggy is dumb thing occasionally, but uh, as long as we oh Jesus, temperamental. She says the Hollywood types are too unpredictable to predict. That's a brilliant piece of bullshit. <laughs> I, I just that's, that's new after five years of Ziggy failing for various different reasons. Oh yeah, yeah, Hollywood types. We can't do Hollywood types. There we go. Yeah, the the actual like leapy portion of this episode, I think, is probably the weakest because it's like, yeah, it's stuff like that. We're like, what's like, what's the point of Al and Ziggy and any of this? Yes. Yeah. I mean that again. It goes back to the problems of this kind of leap. You can't really change anything. Yeah. I think it would have been better if it was about, um, I mean, I, I think they should have tackled some of the, the themes of this episode, but I think if they had added something that was a little more changeable, like something to do with Sam's character, and then he's trying to save Marilyn on top of it, might have felt a little bit more true to Quantum Leap to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe to split the focus. I mean, they tried that with Dr. Ruth, I think, to varying levels of success. It felt like more of a traditional leap, even though it was a celebrity leap, because it had nothing to do with Dr. Ruth. She just <laughs> happened to be the leapy. 
Yeah, she was just the one that the lady called on the phone, uh, like, you're Dr. Ruth, help me out with my life problems. <laughs> Save me, Dr. Ruth. Save me from my maniac boss, from my deadly <laughs> boss. Yeah. I think if there had been something going on with Sam's character, it doesn't even necessarily need to be all that dramatic, just something to do with his life that Sam needs to change. And then he happens to be Marilyn Monroe's chauffeur. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll get around to saving him later. I got to save Marilyn Monroe. And it's this lost cause. I think that would have fit a little bit better. Hmm. And had a, had more of a point. Maybe sort of shades of MIA there, right? Yeah, yeah. Like working across purposes to the to the purpose of the leap. Like trying so hard to save Marilyn so that she can still be the focus of the episode at the expense of the leapy. That might be an interesting way to go about it. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to be doing an episode about Marilyn Monroe, I guess you got to make it all about Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Yeah, it still could have been about her. Just I, I just feel like that would have added a little bit more to feel like it wasn't so directionless with some of it. Mm. I feel like her persona is just it's it's too big for a B plot. Like, like you, you, yeah. she needs to, yeah. she needs to fill. No, she would be the no, no, plot one that, But what I'm saying yeah. is that, like, <laughs> her her presence trumps all other story considerations. Is what I meant by that. Not that she should yes. be the B plot. There, there is no room for a B plot when you have a Marilyn Monroe. I feel like they did it a little bit better in the uh, the Elvis episode, as far as like uh, finding other people that that he's supposed to help on the leap, but it happens to be an Elvis centric episode, or happens to be about a celebrity. Yeah, and I guess we'll talk about that. Let's save that discussion for the Elvis episode. <laughs> sure. I feel like Elvis has a little bit more in common with Dr. Ruth in many, many ways. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's save that. Let's not have that discussion now. There was another uh, Marilyn Monroe quantum leap thing in uh, one of the comics. Yes. Which I thought was the best comic. I liked that one. But it wasn't really about Marilyn Monroe, per se, because a lot of it has to do with Sam and Al just talking. Yeah. But I thought it was really good character-wise, just focusing on that. Is that the one where he looks in the window and is in the white dress? That's the uh, the cover of that one, right? No. <laughs> no, it, that one, it's called Waiting, I believe. Oh, I have Waiting. Right, Matt? Yeah, the one where uh, on the cover he's got a white dress on, that's the parody comic Quantum Creep. Yeah, yeah, Quantum Creep, which I do not recommend because no, it is it's garbage. <laughs> it tries it tries to be mad and uh, fails dismally. Oh, it's it's horrible, offensive, racist, sexist, homophobic, everything you can think of. It ticks every box, but waiting very is very good. There is a cover um, uh, where Sam's in a dress, I think, is... Uh, I think that's the one with the twins, where he's got, like, the poodle yes, skirt on yes. or something. Yeah, yeah. here's the thing with the comics. I haven't read... I, I read the first one because I, I had it, and then I went on a quest to just find copies at comic book shops all around Long Island. But I've deliberately held off on reading any of them now because I want to read them fresh for the show when we get to reviewing the comics. So, But I can't wait now to find Quantum Creep. Uh, you can wait. You can wait a long time. <laughs> no, do not look. I won't. I won't. <laughs> it ain't a good time. I can send you a scan of it. Um, Please don't. I uh, yeah. I unfortunately own a copy of that, and it's not. <laughs> yeah, I I owned a copy of it, but I couldn't keep it kicking around. That's fair enough. So yeah, I mean, uh, the fact that we're talking about the comics now, I guess, it kind of signals that we don't have much more to discuss about Goodbye Norma Jean. But I, I do want to say, I guess maybe I'll wrap up. I'll give you guys some uh, some final thoughts. 
again, I think that this episode is a solid season five episode. There are parts of it that I dislike, but mainly it's just the mechanics of having a celebrity leap that I find very problematic because no matter how you try, no matter what you do, we all know the original history. We all know that Sam can't change that original history. So it will always undercut any kind of tension that you have if you keep the leap focused on a celebrity. That being said, Susan Griffiths, I thought was terrific in this. Liz Massey, I thought was terrific in this, aside from my lecherous side. Um, <laughs> Stephen Root, holy <laughs> shit. We didn't even mention that Stephen Root no. is in this. Who's Stephen Root? Stephen Root, <laughs> Office Space? Yeah, Office Space. <laughs> oh, I oh, that guy. The oh, yeah, the, the steeper. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. yes. I, know. I know. Yes, I didn't recognize the name. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah, so. He's a really versatile actor, yeah. too. Every time I see him, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, great job, man. Yeah, he's one of those people Trailer that you think. Trailer Park Boys. Have, have I seen him in something before? And then you look him up on IMDb, realize who he is, and... Yeah, he's a chameleon. (laughs) This episode has so much going for it. There are so many good things about it. But at the end of the day, I just, I I find Celebrity Leaps problematic. I think if they were going to do a Marilyn Monroe episode, this one's fine. It's just fine. So how about you, Els? Yeah, I pretty much agree with all those points. Um, I appreciate from a writing standpoint uh, what the episode was trying to accomplish. um, And I feel like there are some poignant moments in it. I don't know if it succeeds as a Quantum Leap episode per se, but I do think there's some really good stuff there. And Matt? Yeah, um, so I I don't have problems with celebrity leaps per se, but I think, um, as I said at the top, I have mixed feelings about this and listening to you guys talk and particularly some of the stuff that that Alison talked about, it made me realise that what I was watching and enjoying was a potentially really good leap about depression and looking into that that would have been served so much better if it had been written about a fictional actress um, of yeah. the, the, the acting equivalent of King Thunder um, and just say, <laughs> yes, yes, this is the most famous actress in the world. It's just no one you've heard about because Quantum Leap's a fictional show. We can invent people. It's okay. And not had that distraction of Marilyn and just made it a show about a person. Um, there, there was some really good stuff and some really good performances, some really good beats in the script and the potential for a really good plot line. Just, uh, yeah, d- distracted by this celebrity element. And I say that as someone who does quite like the celebrity leaps, but um, yeah, doesn't quite hit the mark for me. I think it would have been more of a gut punch, too, if it had been um, a fictional character. Uh, the fact that Sam's trying to save this person for so long and you don't know how it's going to end. And then by the end, they still die. Yes. That, yeah. Wow. Good point. Good point. Okay, and I think that about winds up our discussion of goodbye, Norma Jean. Let's all say goodbye to goodbye, Norma Jean. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. But we're not saying goodbye just yet. We're going to go to a break. But um, after that, we have some Patreon news and some pretty cool feedback. So everybody stay tuned and we'll catch you on the flip side. On the latest episode of Fangin. 
this is my first time watching The Muppet Show on Disney Plus right now. Oh, you're so lucky. I'm re-watching them at the moment. It's fun, isn't it? I don't understand, like, all of a sudden this cult of Kermit that has arisen. Cult of Kermit? <laughs> I'm going to violently disagree with you. Violently? Yes. Like animal? <laughs> There's nothing funnier than a Muppet pulling out a gun for no reason. <laughs> Pigs in Space was genius. People were getting so mad about the warnings at the beginning. Cancel culture, cancel culture. They just want to manufacture controversy. I'm sick of hearing the words cancel culture. Oh, don't get me started. Foreknowledge hasn't been in print for 25 years. Cancel <laughs> culture, I am a victim. I didn't even know. <laughs> to find out how to hear this and other Patreon-exclusive shows, go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. That's patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. You know what the best part of this podcast is? When it's over! (laughs) (laughs) On the latest episode of Leaps Elsewhere. Oh, we gonna have some fun on this podcast, guys. Today we'll be talking about the NCIS New Orleans season one episode, Chasing Ghosts, that features both Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell. We're all gonna talk about the accent, let's face it. The accent. <laughs> Dean Stockwell is T-Bone. Dean was really solid. I believe that this was his very last TV appearance. It feels like he spent a day on a boat and got to hang out with his old friend Scott Bakula again. And- <laughs> this is the complete wrong role for Scott Bakula. He did a lot of squinty acting in this, did Scott. <laughs> How many like Navy crimes can you come up with? Apparently, if you're Donald Belisario, 10 million. <laughs> yeah. I was glad that Scott took a moment to explain to us that discrimination hasn't ended. <laughs> It's probably the most dynamic episode of television that Scott Bakula stars in that revolves around an anti-Semitic lynching. (laughs) A ringing endorsement. I think we're all in agreement, everyone. Tune in to NCIS Knowledge. To find out how to hear this and other Patreon-exclusive shows, go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. That's patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. It's the way they roll in New Orleans. (laughs) But is it? (laughs) Maybe. This is David Campetti. You're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Catch you on the flip side. It's just Chris promoting his blog. <laughs> I haven't done it to flip side in so long. I'm so busy. A few more episodes time and I'll be I'll be talking a lot about, you know, what are we going to be discussing when we get beyond the mirror image? I'll just keep dropping that into conversation. <laughs> <laughs> So we're talking about Mirror Image today, but uh, are we going to talk about the comics when we get beyond the Mirror Image? (laughs) TMEbooks.uk. Can I call you guys Deflip and Dale? (laughs) Uh, Just say it in the Maryland voice and uh, you can call us anything. Deflip and Dale. Oh, Oh, Alison. A little tingly. Uh. All right, everyone, we're back. And uh, yeah, sometimes we just take the piss out of each other. I said that, right, Matt? I said that, right? Yeah. Okay, good. You so, did. Well done. Good, good. But, uh, uh Guys, I'm happy to announce that we have yet another new Patreon patron. Everybody, yes. let's have a big round of applause for Adrian Finlay. Adrian. Yay. Thank you, Adrian. Adrian joins us at the $5 Leaper level, which means that she gets access to all of our terrific bonus content over on the Patreon feed. Um, You guys should check that out if you haven't already. The NCIS New Orleans episode is up there now. 
Oh, you going to have some fun listening yeah. to that episode. <laughs> That's a good one. Get your gumbo. <laughs> I put the promo together for that one. Every time I listen to the promo, I want to re-listen to the episode because it was just so funny. <laughs> oh, I had a great time listening back to that. Yeah. We were on fire. We were. That was a good episode. Were we? Good. I must listen. Oh, Matt. Thank you. For not breaking my faith in you. I knew that you wouldn't ever listen. If you're going to break your streak and actually listen to an episode of the podcast. This is the one? Yeah, that's a good one. It's funny. That may be Diaper Monkey. But anyway, um, thank you, Adrian. Um, you get to enjoy all of that fine content. And we get to enjoy a letter that Adrian sent in addition to her Patreon pledge. So she sent us an email, and I guess I'll start it, and we can do our usual round robin. Adrian writes, Hi, all. I've watched Quantum Leap from the beginning, ever since stumbling on the pilot episode when I was in high school. Thanks so much for the podcast. Listening has vastly improved my daily hour-long commute. You all have great insights. Yes, I know. And I love the <laughs> extras and interviews. I started listening by jumping around to my favorite episodes, Eight and a Half Months, Sleep Home, Shock Theater. Good taste. Yeah, right? <laughs> She's got all the good ones. Uh, but now I'm going more in order while watching the series with my nine and 11 year old daughters who have now pulled in the neighbor kids too. Aww. We're just starting season three and I've only had a few cringy moments where I wonder how age appropriate it is for kids between nine to 12, mostly regarding sex and sexual violence. I had to define virginity the night we watched Another Mother and said the kidnappers in that episode were serial killers, which seemed the less disturbing take on what they probably were. I guess I did okay, and I figure the message of that episode is a positive one in the end. I'm thinking there are some episodes coming up that might present some new, what should we call them, educational opportunities? But the show has so much heart, it's hard to find the will to censor my kids' experience of it. My questionable parenting aside, it's great fun watching how much they're all loving Quantum Leap, and your podcast has made re-watching it extra fun for me. Thanks again. Best wishes, Adrian. Oh my god, the whole thing. Adrian Finley, PhD, Professor of English, Director of Creative Writing, Upper Iowa University, Fayette, Iowa. Author, young adult science fiction. It still goes. HMH Books for Young Readers. Cut off August 2020. You're one and only. 2018. What? Oh my gosh. Oh, Adrian that's is wicked. She's wicked, wicked smart. She is a. <laughs> wicked smart. Yeah. She is a, an accomplished. Oh my gosh. An accomplished listener to this podcast. Wow. And, uh, we're all lucky to have her. Good on, on you, Adrian. Board. Yeah. I've got to say, though, I, I mean, I know when she mentioned the. the, the cringy moments and uh, and things that are coming up i am concerned that yeah she's probably not far away from having to uh, to explain alphabet rap to her kids and, uh, <laughs> nobody's I, ready for alphabet I don't, rap. I don't know how you, i don't know how you're gonna do that um good luck yeah. i think she'd rather explain virginity again but uh anyway. <laughs> wouldn't we all I think it's nice, like, any kids that, that watch Quantum Leap and pay attention, because I mm. feel like a lot of kids now, just older television in general is kind of hard to get them into. Yeah. Mm. But I think, like, other than that, like, kids are, like, I think Quantum Leap's pretty fine to show to kids. There might be one or two episodes I, I might question a little bit, but for the most part, like, what she's saying, like, it's educational opportunities. Like, it's not, the show's not trying to be seedy or malicious with any of it. No, no, not at all. But now you're talking about nine to 12 year olds and maybe goes back to the argument I was making earlier. What do they know about Marilyn Monroe? Like they're going to get to this episode <laughs> and say, what? who's that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I'd come off to a kid like that. But it's it's always good opportunities for talking points, whether it's 
stuff from the 80s and 90s that has some content in it that maybe wouldn't fly today, or whether it's stuff that's just a, a little bit more grown up than for the age group that are watching. I think with the exception of uh, like some some very grown up stuff that Quantum Leap never really gets to, you know, sometimes it's good to push the envelope a little bit with your kids and and talk to them about it afterwards. I say that with a 4-year-old. I'm at, at the moment I there's some very clear boundaries about what he does and doesn't watch. Um so maybe I'll have maybe, maybe I'll feel differently about it in 5 or 6 years time, but I'm I'm kind of looking forward to having the opportunities to show him some of my favorite TV shows like Quantum Leap and use them as talking points afterwards and and to educate through that because at some point it's got to be done and uh hey why not do it with uh with a bit of quantum leap yeah i think there's only like you know maybe one or two i would wonder about like killing time like once al goes to sex world i I don't (laughs) know if that would be the one that (laughs) depends on what you're comfortable showing your kids but uh other than that, <laughs> she just wants to hold his hand really hard, and he's gonna pay to hold her hand. <laughs> you know, there's like, um, there's episodes that have violence or or sexual violence, like Adrian was pointing out, but a lot of them are for uh, educational reasons. They're, they're moments to teach about why these things are are wrong. So, yeah, exactly. So there you go, Adrian. Um, you're getting your money's worth. This is now become a parenting podcast where two thirds of your panel of experts are people without children. So I do have a, a greasy cat. <laughs> if that counts. And I do have a bratty Bichon. So <laughs> thank you again, Adrian, for your support. And uh, we also heard from another Patreon supporter, uh, Miley Enos. And she wrote to us in response to our episode about Blood Moon. Another email, Miley begins, Hi, I love the episode on Blood Moon. I know that even if an episode of QL is bad, Chris, Allison, and Matt will have a good time talking about it. I still replay the Wrong Stuff podcast episode, and it always (laughs) cracks me up. I think the name should officially be changed to (laughs) Diaper Monkey. I love vampires and all things macabre and paranormal, but Blood Moon has been puzzling me. I know it doesn't work, and I wasn't sure exactly why. I think part of it is being the fifth season. The usual care for production was off. This story would work if they went dark and had the vampire be a human that thought he was a vampire. The last scene from Dr. Ruth could be explained by the vampire having dental implants that make his teeth look like fangs. Even in the 1970s, this would be plausible since the character is rich. Vampires are a great metaphor to explore, and could have been a lot more fun. And she winds up by saying, I like the suggestion that Sam slowly take on characteristics of the vampire and I'll become a Renfield character. Perhaps a fan fiction <laughs> contest would be fun. <laughs> Let's get that Alice Renfield fanfic, everyone. Yes, please. I'd love to read it. And Miley has it. She, she says people could correct Blood Moon. I corrected <laughs> mm-hmm. Blood Moon. Anyway, love the podcast and look forward to more Miley. P.S. Matt should do his Drusilla voice again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris, did you did you add that in yourself, or is that actually from the original? No, that is actually from Miley. I have no idea who Drizilla is. It's some kind of Buffy thing, right? Did, have you not? I'm sure we talked about this at the time. You not? No, no, I've never seen. I've seen one. I think I saw two episodes of Buffy. I tried to get into it on Netflix, and um, I got as far as the cheerleader turning into a trophy in the trophy case. 
And yeah. oh, see, so, so you watched the pilot and the episode after. Yes, <laughs> that's what yeah. you watched. <laughs> and I just never really went back to it. Some of those early episodes. Well, season one is is yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, they they try and push the like, oh, this is a show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but we don't want it just to be about vampires. So they really try and push lots of non-vampire stuff in the first season, probably to its detriment. You didn't even get to the evil praying mantis lady. Oh. You didn't even get to possessed by hyenas. Oh, hyenas. <laughs> Was there a kryptonite meteor shower in this town too? It smells like the first season of Smallville. Oh, there's a reason, but it gets into nerdy Buffy stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not go there. But um, yeah, the hyenas that eat the principal. Um, it's good. It's good. It's all <laughs> it's good. good. But- they had multiple principals get eaten at that school. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But Ju- Juliet Landau is a fine actress, and Drusilla is quite creepy. But there was a very strange choice with her accent. It's very dreamy, and the Britishness is a bit spoik, yeah, a little bit cockney, <laughs> very floaty. It's it's very strange. It, it, she kind of pulls it off. But to a dumb American, it sounded authentic to me. She sounds weird when she doesn't speak with an accent, when I hear her do her American accent. I know, right? I'm so used to hearing that. I can't hear her without it, but... Well, there you go, Miley. If for more uh, Juliet Landau doing a British accent, watch Theodore Rex. <laughs> I haven't, but uh, now I will. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> But if you ever, it's the best Whoopi Goldberg and anthropomorphic dinosaur buddy cop movie you'll ever see, I guess. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that was going to be the theme of my next podcast. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely put that into the rotation somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Do Do you, see what you got to look forward to, everyone. Hey, by the way, uh, thanks, uh, Miley, for the for the feedback. And Adrian, if I didn't say. Yeah, thanks to both Miley and Adrian. If you want to be like Miley or Adrian and contact us, there are many ways that you can reach us here on the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Quantum Leap Pod. And you can go that extra mile like Miley, like Adrian, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, tell us what's coming up next. Well, it's funny, we, we've just been talking about Blood Moon, so this seems to be very much on the theme of myths and legends and beasts. So, uh, yeah, next week, is this an episode about Bigfoot, or is it an episode about a man in a big coat? <laughs> we, we just don't know. Find out next week in The Beast Within. Who's here? Bigfoot! Bigfoot? I swear it was him! Oh boy. What a leap transition that was, huh? I know. <laughs> oh, but what a picture it was! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bigfoot! <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> They're not even trying to be subtle anymore. I mean, it's... <laughs> well, actually, were they ever trying to be subtle? But that leap out is such a huge disappointment. What a disappointment that was. I, I, I remember at the time it was. Yeah, I don't even know why I put the word subtle in season five in the same sentence right next to each other. That, that was just that, <laughs> a brain fart, a lapse in, in judgment. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, wow. Beast Within. Hmm. I think we're going to have many a thing to say about Beast Within, and I look forward yeah. to discussing that with both of you. Until then, mm. I've been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time in our big fluffy coats. Why would Bigfoot be wearing a coat? <laughs> Why? Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge, Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden and Charles Allen Gossard are the producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. All right, you guys got the rundown. I assume, Matt, you saw, you got a fan. Yeah! <laughs> well, my Juliet Landau impression's got a fan, yes. So good for you. And that fan is Juliet Landau. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be brilliant if she contacted saying, "Now, Matt, I've been listening for a couple of years now. I know when the others when the others put accents on, you never do. But as soon as there was an excuse to do me, that's when it came out. So like, yes, yeah, yeah. I don't try and do Southern accents. I don't try and do Italian American accents. But <laughs> Juliet Landau doing a Bad, dopey British accent. I'm all over that shit. <laughs> you, you can do American doing British accent. Yes! Yes. <laughs> uh, you will be hearing a lot of noise on my end. Um, oh dear, what's happening now? My new neighbors have uh, two small children, so this is just my life now. <laughs> you can't get a break with these neighbors. It, it seems like you chose the worst place to live to run a media empire from. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I had I had a good four or five years, and then uh, and then just nothing but babies and screaming all the time. It's uh, uh, it's my oh own personal no. hell. Yeah. Thanks, Obama. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> uh, someone someone appears to be banging a garbage can against the railing outside my door. Uh, <laughs> What is this going is, this on? This recording is cursed. This has been going on for the last, like, five minutes. Uh, like, <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck is happening. My boobs are as big as Marilyn's. <laughs>